Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Stanley Kubrick achieved legendary status for a number of reasons. He conquered a wide range of genres, sci-fi, costume drama, nuclear satire, Roman epic, and at least four of his films are some of the best films ever made. But most important, he didn't talk to the press. He gained a reputation as an eccentric recluse, but really he just didn't do interviews, apart from once. And that interview is the basis of a new documentary showing at the International Film Festival. Well, I mean, in a work of fiction, you have to have conflict. If there isn't a problem in a story, it can almost by definition not be a story. A good story that you're making in a film is a miracle. And, you know, it's very hard to work miracles. It's called Kubrick by Kubrick, and I'm joined by its director, Gregory Moreau, on the line from Paris. Bonjour, Gregory. Bonjour, how are you? Fine, thank you. And despite this really Scottish name, Gregory Monroe, you're actually French born and bred, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm French. I was born in Paris. But you've always had an obsession for American movies. I see you've already made films about Jimmy Stewart and Robert Mitchum, about Jerry Lewis, as well as Stanley Kubrick. Absolutely, yes. No, it's not an obsession, it's a passion, actually, because uh, I grew up, you know, watching uh, not only American and English films, but mainly, you know, when you're a little boy, you have to access easy things. So, of course, I grew up with uh, Westerns or uh, Spielberg's films, too. It's it's really a passion. It's not an obsession. But when were you first aware of Stanley Kubrick? I mean, was the one film in particular that got you interested in him? That was very early, actually. I think I was about... 10 years old, which is uh, Barry Lyndon. That's the first uh, Kubrick film I I ever saw. It really appealed to me. I was caught into the movie. I really liked the music. I didn't understand all the story and everything there. It really stayed in my mind. And then I've seen it a few years later, like other Kubrick's film. But Barry Lyndon was really the... uh, the starting point, and then I discovered Kubrick when I was a little bit older, and uh, I think I've seen 2001, that was the second film. So, uh, to me, it's one of the biggest artists of the 20th century, also the 21st century. But looking at Kubrick, why didn't he talk to journalists? I mean, you would have thought that if you're a filmmaker, you'd want to get out there and sell your movies. No, well, it's not that he didn't want to talk to journalists. Actually, he talked to journalists, but he chose which one he wanted to talk with. He had a few. Michel Simon was really the most important. Well, he wasn't a journalist. He was a film critic, Michel Simon. And they really had a long-term friendship because Simon interviewed him four times on four films, starting from Clockwork Orange. But Kubrick, I think that he didn't want to explain himself. I think he said that everything was in his movies and he did didn't want to analyze himself. Also, from the very early beginning, critics weren't very nice to Kubrick. So I think that it has something to do with that, too. He didn't really want to discuss with people who really didn't like what he did. But he, he actually gave a few other interviews. But the Michel Simon ones were 
really audio tapes. And you've you found this interview, which was an on a cassette, I believe. You know, it's an audio cassette. Yeah, uh, there were multiple audio cassettes. Uh, oh, actually, well, wow. uh, actually, it's in Lyon, and the cassettes has been restored, so we had a, a better quality. Although we really worked on the audio a lot. When I saw the audio tape, I said, "Oh, is that it?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a Nagra or something like that. But you know, we were in the early seventies. I think the first one was in seventy-three for Clockwork Orange, and they already had the, these audio tapes. Which uh, which came first, the idea of doing a documentary about Kubrick or finding these tapes? The idea of making a documentary on Kubrick, of course. It's in my mind since, woo, a few years now. You know, since there's been a lot of documentaries on Kubrick and, and very good ones too, so I had to find something, you know, something new, something original. And I knew that these audio tapes existed. Actually, we've been in contact with Michel Simon. We asked him if he could grant us permission to use these audio tapes. And then from there on, well, I said, okay, this is going to be the movie. This is the only movie in which you will hear a Kubrick documentary, I mean, to hear and to be close to Kubrick. I've never heard his voice, I don't think. The first time I heard his voice... I had a doubt. I said, is that him? Because he sounds so humble, so mm. gentle, so so sympathetic. And he was like that. So I think doing that documentary with his viewpoint, his thoughts, is also a way to humanize Kubrick. He was fascinating talking about his early days. He started out as a photojournalist. Look magazine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just after the Second World War, yeah. But he clearly wanted to make films, and I think initially he wanted to make documentaries. You know what? I think that he, he didn't really knew really what he wanted to do. I think he wanted he really liked watching movies. He did a few documentaries. Uh, Day of the Fight. He did that because he couldn't do the feature film before. He had very little money, so he had to do it with his own money. That came also from his photography. He did documents because it's logical from the photograph, and that's why in Kubrick's films you have these incredible frames because it comes from that time you know, where he was like 16 years old in the streets of New York and his little camera, so it came from that. I think he did three documentaries. The first one, Day of the fight is in black and white it's kind of a narrative it can make you think of a few kubrick films his first major film of course was paths of glory that's a big film for somebody who's not made a big film before he met with kirk douglas and kirk douglas really liked him they had a good relationship at the beginning (laughs) right (laughs) on path and glory i mean yeah it was a big experience they had a a kind of problems with the sets and everything with the trenches it was said that it, they were too large and people critic uh, the, the film. And actually, it didn't came out in France that year. It came out later on because oh, really? uh, we didn't want it. Yeah, yeah, it was censured there. But that film was, to me, a very powerful film because you think until the end that the uh, soldiers are going to be saved. The happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Kirk Douglas is going to make it happen. And no. So, you know, that's Kubrick. <laughs> well, he did the same thing in a way with Spartacus. I mean, Spartacus came immediately afterwards, and it was famous for being the movie that proved that he could come in under budget, I believe. But it, it did come at a cost. Yeah, but, you know, it's not the cost. I think that he was a very, very young director at the time. Mm. 
that's because of Kirk Douglas too, because you know Kirk Douglas is really responsible for I think for Kubrick's celebrity and career. That that's the second time they collaborated, but that time Douglas uh, produced also. He right. co-produced part, I guess. And of course, you're in Hollywood. The producer is the master, and you have to listen to him and do as he said. Kubrick wasn't like that at all. Even Young, he really knew what he wanted. And so they had a very tough relationship on the set and it was very stressful for Kubrick and for everybody there. You cannot sense it in the movie, but it was really painful for Kubrick, for Kirk Douglas, for Laurence Olivier, for all, all these actors. But it was a great experience because I think Kubrick learned on that big, big film that it's not for him. He didn't feel comfortable in big films like that. He now had the celebrity because Spartacus really had a great success at the time. It helped Kubrick in making other movies, but he said, okay, I'm going to do other movies, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it with Hollywood, but from London <laughs> and my way. He moved to Britain shortly after that, didn't he? And he never really yeah. left. No, he never left. He went there and when he was uh, shooting Lolita. There was very little about Lolita in the documentary. I couldn't help noticing, Gregory. I mean, I know. about it. I have, have that a lot on this film. I know because we talk about almost all the others, but that's for a few reasons. The very first reason, he doesn't talk about it. Well, I think he mentioned it uh, somewhere in the, in the interview, but it's just mentioning it. My documentary is not about mentioning his films right. or filmography. You know, it's much more deeper, I hope. It's really digging into his thoughts and to his thoughts process. So Lolita, I think, didn't really match anyway with the the rest of the film. Oh, and just... of course, Eyes Wide Shot. I had the critic one time. He said, "Well, it's too bad. We we don't talk about the Eyes Wide Shot here." Shrim. Excuse me. He doesn't talk about Eyes Wide Shot, and you you asked. I, I hope you're aware of why he didn't talk about it. He mentioned it in an interview very early on because he had Eyes Wide Shot in his mind in the 70s. And uh, he, he, he talked about the book, so we were able to edit a uh, sequence uh, around that. After Lolita, the unmentionable Lolita, but after that came, frankly, his three big masterpieces, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, and A Clockwork Orange. They were extraordinary films and very, very different films. He just fell in love, and he, he says it in the the documentary, mm. you know, it's all about reading because he adapted a lot of books, actually. All of his films, 90% of his films are adaptation. He read every day, all the time, sometime for months, uh, almost years, and sometime he liked a book and he wanted to adapt it. So I think it's all about also his mood and how does the story appeals to him. Strange Love was done around the uh, atomic bomb, so it was done, you know, in these years when you have the Cold War and everything. So that was a period uh, period correct. And the 2001, I think he knew about the NASA. He did 2001 a year before a man walked on the moon. It's all, almost as if he was anticipating things. So I think the Clockwork Orange is even more powerful because it, it still strikes to me today. When you hear Kubrick talking about violence, there's a sequence where you hear him talking about the problem of how do you solve violence? Are you going to use violence against violence? You know, the authority, 
as a violent authority to eradicate violence. Look at the world today. It's exactly what happens. Even worse. That's really impressive. When, when I heard him saying that, I said, oh my God, I mean, you know, nothing had changed. And poor Stanley, today, I don't know what he would have to think about the world. <laughs> One thing that did happen around that period, of course, was that all these films were very uh, technically challenging. You mentioned Barry Lyndon, which is the one after that, where he was using a lot of natural lighting. But he also developed this reputation as this obsessive, the person who would just do take after take after take. Why do you think he, he did that? Well, you're mentioning his uh, issues with actors. <laughs> actors had issues with him, but not all, all the actors. He had two different kind of actors, I think. Mm. He had the kind of actors who were like him. Jack Nicholson or Peter Sellers, you know, they were like Kubrick. They were able to go anywhere, and you know, as much as he wanted, and they were totally involved in that. Mm. And then he had other actors that didn't have that experience, uh, maybe like younger actors. Uh, I'm talking about Ryan O'Neill. At the time, he did sure. Love Story, but he was at his very early beginning. And, and Kubrick just asked him almost not to do anything in front of the camera. He, he said, no, no, don't do any kind of face. And he would do like uh, 30 or 40, uh, 50 takes like that. <laughs> so, of course, the actor gets mad. But, you know, I think that it wasn't Kubrick. And I think Tom Cruise said it because Tom Cruise also suffered a lot. And he explained that Kubrick wanted really to have the best performance, the most real as possible. It wasn't just to uh, be a, p a pain in the ass for actors. It was just that he really needed the actors to be as sincere as possible for the sequence. And he wanted them not to act. He wanted them to be. See what I mean? You know, that's a special technique, but you must also remember that Kubrick didn't go to film school. He started with photographs. He started with documentaries. So he never worked with actors. I think actors were weird to him. Sometimes he had issues to adapt and to know what an actor was. But I think that time going on, you know, with Malcolm McDowell, it was fantastic. I thought, and, uh, I thought that Orange. was a fantastic interview that you, you got with Malcolm McDowell too. I thought that he was very interesting on the subject of Kubrick and how unprepared he'd be on the set. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, he knew before. I mean, it shows you how Kubrick wanted to be in the moment. He wanted mm. to improvise. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, Kubrick, he does a two-year shooting. You know, it takes two years. His movies are so expensive and everything. But they weren't, actually. He took two years to shoot a movie, but his movie was as expensive as the one that was shot in eight months or six months. Why? Because he had two to three times less crew right. than on the usual set. And there he was able, and he was free to think and to improvise and to find ideas. So that was his uh, process. And I think it was it's very clever from him. But there there's been too many... Um, critics around his it's a mythology Kubrick being a, a crazy man a yeah. recluse a, a tyrant and that he spent a lot of money it's really not true we're running out of time unfortunately Gregory but I know that I mean oh. at the end of having made this documentary and having heard all these interviews and heard him talking did you come to any conclusion about Kubrick the man and what made him such a, a unique director 
I think what's unique is that to me he was very uh, ahead of time you know he wasn't a visionary but I think that he was very well aware of the world in which he was living and I think he really really knew what he wanted to tell and I think that why Kubrick is Kubrick is because he did only 13 films but none of them are the same I mean in terms of genres but when you really think about it and you watch them again then you see that actually there are a lot of uh, common points into his films. So I think that's the mastery of Kubrick. You know, it's his viewpoint on humanity. These 13 films are like a testimony to me. I think people know that. Even if they cannot explain it, I, I'm talking about the audience with some critics. I think they, they sense that that was it. It's powerful. Emotionally, it's powerful. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.